You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah, your host, and I want to thank you so much for downloading this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. As you know, it's a podcast all about shedding our limiting labels and beliefs so that we can lead fulfilling, meaningful, and purpose-filled lives. And I believe without a doubt, we are actually each capable of more than we imagine when we live without labels or limits. Um, So on that note, today I am bravely turning the reins of the podcast over. It isn't that um, I mind turning the reins of the podcast over. I am turning the focus of the podcast over. So I'm going to introduce you to my co-host for this session and then um, next week's episode as well, Ken Fay. Now, before um, I actually do that, let me remind some of you who no Ken, you may have actually listened to the entire episode that I did interviewing Ken, which is on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. That was episode 153. And um, Ken has just become one of my most favorite people, partly because he is full of humility, great wisdom, and um, funny, really funny. Um, All of those things I aspire to be better at. And let me just say the shorthand is he's an artist and a storyteller by nature, and you're going to get that from him. But professionally, he's also an award-winning award-winning writer, director, and producer for network corporate technology and nonprofits, as well as healthcare and commercial clients. And then recently, Ken and I had so much fun, and we just wrapped up a six-week workshop for nonprofits called Heart-Centered Storytelling for Donor Engagement. And that was super powerful um, and really surprising um, in the best of all possible definitions of the word surprising. But anyway, without (laughs) taking the reins away from Ken too much longer. It was his idea a couple of months back. He may have only been joking, I don't know, but he said that um, we should flip the switch and he should interview me. And I said, sure, sure. And then, you know, that was a couple months ago. So here we are today. And for this week and next, Ken is gonna be at the helm and I will be his interviewee. So welcome, Ken. It's always fun. It's a pleasure to hang out with you. And and I know we're going to have some fun today. Um, And there's a lot of questions I would love to ask you about, but I'm going to be good and turn it over to you right now, my friend. So welcome and happy hosting. Well, glad to be here. And you're not asking me any questions today, Sarah. You've already asked me all the questions you can. <laughs> so I am so looking forward to turn the tables on you just a little, little bit. Um, getting to know you over the last few months or so, I really want to know who you are. And I think anyone who's just listening to you wants to know who you are, what motivates you, and ask you the questions that you ask all of us, which is going to be interesting to hear your answers for. So glad to turn the table <laughs> just a little bit. And certainly the definition of breaking uh, barriers, labels, and just breaking on through to the other side. So 
Here we go a little bit with that. Fair so for, for, for those that don't know Sarah, she is a professional and business strategist. Uh, you may ask, what does that mean? Well, she's an accelerator. Uh, she's dedicated to helping executives regain their time, reduce stress, and lead strategically. So she's a coach, a consultant, an author, usually a podcast host, except for these next two episodes, and a dear friend. And she has experience both earned and learned. And we're going to figure out a little bit about how she's earned some of her experience and learned some of her experience today. So with that, I'm going to ask you the question that you ask all of us when we get on your episodes. And that is, I like to start asking all our guests this question. <laughs> is there something that you do every day that keeps your vision focused that moves to moves you towards your vision? There's a number of things I do, and I would like to say it's perfect every day. So one thing I do is I give myself a little bit of grace that I have two or three things that I get done throughout the day without fail. But I always try to start my day in quiet. Um, I get up, I get back in bed. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't get up and leave the room because it's cold. So I get up, I go get a cup of coffee. I leave the lights out. Um, I bring my husband coffee. Sometimes he's not even up but I'd leave it there because that's just what a good pal does. And I sit in the quiet and I reflect. First, I just start by saying, thanks, I'm awake. And I'm, and then I just reflect like, what do I get to do today? And it's so funny that I do this on the weekends too. This isn't just like a business day focus, but when I just pause and think, wow, today I get to do, and I can list them in my head. And I think I'm so lucky. And sometimes they're really mundane things. Like I get to prepare meals for the week or think about that. Um, there are things that I'm going, whoa, I get to go to this training. It is going to be really hard. It's going to require a lot of me, but how lucky am I that I know the people or I get to be a part of that and I get to be inspired by other people. So I do that every day. It's not a big deal thing. Um, and then I test if what I'm doing or my mind, the state of my mind is actually in the space it needs to be in. And there are many days that I'm thinking, I'll wake up and I start and I'm thinking, excuse me, who just woke up? You're a little cranky pants. So let's reframe. Let's start by doing some gratitude. And I, I will say I have these internal dialogues with myself all the time. Sometimes they're out loud. Usually I try to do that when no one's around so people don't think I'm actually speaking to them. Um, but that's, I do that every day. And then after I've been up for a little bit and it's uh, the sun's up and I live where it's fairly rural. So depending on the time of the year, um, I do like a little daylight because um, we have some bobcats that have been seen. Well, actually I, my husband said they're not bobcats, they're mountain lions um, in our neighborhood. And we have coyotes. Coyotes aren't a big deal. The bobcat's a little concerning to me because I walk with the dog. So you know, those, I test those things, but I will walk at least two miles a day and I do that rain or shine. And those are my non-negotiables, you know, that I starting in the rest because I plan my week um, to the best that you can plan anything. Um, the rest fits in and around the edges. And the more I do that, the actually the easier it goes and the less I'm stressed when things don't go according to Sarah's plan. So it sounds all about mindset. You wake up with a mindset and you try to engage, right? Your day in that mindset. Um, so have you always done that, Sarah? Or is this something new for you to engage have, that way? I've always, I've always woken up early. I've always protected my morning time. And I think that comes when I was a kid, you know, like living at home five or six or whatever, my mom would get up early. And I, I realize now as an adult, 
that was her um, saving grace, right? She's like the only time she didn't have six or seven of us talking to her, wanting something from her. As a kid, you just think, wow, if I get up early, I can hang out with mom. So I know she liked me, but I, she might have thought, oh, I could have used a few more minutes before someone wanted my attention. But I would come out in the kitchen and just hang out. I would watch her. You know, I drink coffee with her. I learned also my coffee was basically milk with her pretending to pour <laughs> coffee in it. Um, so I've always done that. Um, and I'm and I'm pretty introspective as a person. So I like quiet time. But there have been phases in my life where I have just felt um, and they're usually work related times where it's like you're on this huge demanding thing. And I, I take that away from myself. And every time I've done that, I've paid the price psychically and spiritually for taking that from myself. Um, but pretty much, you know, people push me too much. I just go, I just need a little pause here. It doesn't have to be long, but I need to regroup. Um, cause I know what feeling out of balance for me feels like. Now, did you learn that from your parents? Did you learn that from your, the hood where you grew up? Or is this something that you've learned later in life? I think I learned it. I think I learned the structure of it later in life. Um, I would say my mom was more, um, possibly more like that. But I don't know that we ever talked about that as a family. My dad got up and he worked, you know, so I know where my work, I know where my work drive comes from. And my mom worked too, but she worked very subtly and in a different way that I've only come to appreciate as real work as I've gotten older, because I recognize that when I have to do it and have to think like she did, it's fatiguing. And honestly, it makes me a little cranky if I have to do it for too long. <laughs> so so learning from your parents, learning about yourself is important as growing up as a kid. Always. So, in, in that world you were growing up in, I mean, were you set in your mind, like all of us, I am sure, that knew exactly what we wanted to do when we grew up? Or were you just kind of like trying to figure it out? I had no clue. I, at one point, I wanted to um, be in the circus, right? Okay. I thought, oh, that would be so co totally cool. I taught myself how to ride a unicycle, my girlfriend and I, when we were in third grade. And, you know, I got good at it. And so did she. And then I would ride and pick up groceries at the store for my mom. I think about this now. I'm going, that was pretty <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, she'd go, could you go pick this up? So I'd ride down on my unicycle. So by the time I was 12 or 13 and I had, I'd gotten a horse for myself and all that, I thought, well, I bet I could be in the circus. I could travel. This I see in retrospect, my, my motivation for it. I could travel. I could be with people who are really different and have different kind of quirky skills. Um, so I'd be in a somewhat controlled environment, unpredictable at the same time. Um, so I tell my mom that and she goes, okay, do you know how to do that? <laughs> I'm thinking that was not the what I thought. And she goes, she goes, no, you can apply. There is a process. So I learned how to apply. And then in the 11th hour, I thought, it doesn't sound that glamorous. So I didn't do it. But yeah, at one point, I thought I'd be in the circus. And then I just wanted to be an artist, you know, so I did a lot of ceramics and uh, stained glass and stuff. But I also knew that I wanted to be secure. And at that point in my life, I, I got my security um, to know that I could do what I want to do by earning money and being having some money in the bank. Um, and not being um, so connected to a job that I couldn't change and go a different direction if I needed to. 
So like life is a circus. It certainly can be like a circus, <laughs> right? I mean, we all know that. Um, it sounded like you were going for a ringmaster there. So pulling all these things together between the unicycle and, and learning from your parents and, and going to the store and learning how to make money and stuff. So what is your career path when you left the circus? <laughs> what was your career path to lead you to where you are today? You know, I've, it's, it's been kind of um, a little of this and a little of that. So at that time, when I realized that there was a new um, food chain coming, I lived in a really small town. So having chains of anything other than a grocery store wasn't us. And it was long ago enough that many of the food chains that we see today did not exist or they were in their infancy. So it was a big deal. So I see ground being broken on a thing and I go, what is that? Maybe I could get a job there. And I'm not quite old enough to legally have a job even though I'm working for a saddle shop and I'm underage, it's all under the table and they're family friends. So my mom goes, well, you should go apply. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I don't know how to, would you, I wanted her to do it for me. And she goes, no, but I can help you once you get going. I can kind of tell you what the steps are because she'd been professional all her life um, until she married my dad and had more kids and stuff. So um, I go, okay, I don't know how to, I went down, tried to find someone. They said, oh, you have to call corporate. And I'm thinking corporate. So anyway, I go through all that. I get that job. And I think that I went there to be like just someone who worked the floor. And I hadn't been there very long. And this is what retrospect and backwards thinking helps you do. I thought I was really old. My boss, my, not the owner, but my boss, who was the manager, was two years older than I was. But I thought she was just like everything. She was so together. And, um, but she kept pushing me. I'd say, well, this is, no, she goes, no, no, no. You're going to learn how to do this. And you're going to, so I've always had people who said, even though I thought I could do X, they said, well, you're going to do X and Y and Z. And then when the owner, the manager um, finally says, you know, I don't know why you don't learn the back end of this as well. So I'm 17 or 18 at this point. And I said, I don't know what that looks like. It was, it looks like learning how to do the books, close us out, know what we made, know what, you know, what things are, learn how to order. So he taught me all of that stuff. And, and I, the lesson is, Ken, when people offer to grow you, the answer is yes. You know? So I would say to my mom, what do you think? And she goes, well, what's the downside? I'm going, oh yeah, good <laughs> question, right? I'm certainly gonna be more valuable so if hours get cut, I'm not going to be the first to go because I could work anywhere in the store. So that did teach me something, you know, about like push and be uncomfortable. From there, I went into like this. Um, so that was like food service and then back in management of it. And I did that for probably three years. Um, and then I moved and went, I worked for this specialty. This was totally cool. But I was again way in over my head. So a girlfriend of mine said, hey, we have an opening. Actually, she didn't because I didn't know her yet. There was an opening. My, I told my younger sister, I said, I'm leaving this job. I need to move. I want to be down where you are. And she goes, well, there's a new store opening here and it's a specialty food store. Um, and I saw a sign in their window. They're looking for people that can become expert. And I'm going, I'm in. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> so I go down. It's a cheese store. And this was before they were in vogue. And it's in this tourist town, beautiful. And it's a really great store. And this is their second store. So these guys are not novices and they have over 300 kinds of cheeses. And I go for an interview and the owner and his wife, co-owners, 
asked me like, oh, so do you know much about cheese? And I said, um, I know cheddar and Monterey Jack and American, right? Those don't even qualify in their world as real cheeses. So anyway, I learned all 300 cheeses. And as soon as I was a little bit closer to legal age, he taught us all the beers and wine they sold that went with what. But honestly, Ken, it's again, I just said, sure, I'll do it. And um, so I did that. And then I moved and did, I learned how to do the back end of warehousing and logistics. I moved to San Diego and I worked in the warehousing um, for Safeway stores. And we were responsible for getting the groceries and the meat and all the fresh produce out. And what, I mean, that was so fascinating. So all of these things have mishmashed. And when I knew I needed to leave there, I thought, well, what am I gonna do? I wanna go back up where I had been working, but I now I'm used to corporate and business. I don't, I really don't wanna go back to what I was doing. So I started a wallpapering company that I ran. Huh. So, you know, I've had a little wow. of this and a little of that. Um, and I did that. And then I started teaching women's self-defense and empowerment. And many of these things I was doing simultaneous, but there is an overlap here in the sense that all of it was about figuring out how to do something and then doing it and getting mentors and people along the way who believed in me and who would teach me. Um, and important. it yeah. was important, but none of them said you can't do it. And that uh, when I reflect back on that, Nobody said, well, we're not sure you can do this or you're not the best person for it. They said, okay, let's go. Now, Here, did, you search these, did you search these people out or they just happened to come in front well, of you? Well, no, a I, was, I was lucky. Um, no, I think what they came to me when I showed up at 100% of who I was, you know? Yeah. So I didn't get faulted for not having the skills. Um, so for instance, what did I know about shipping and receiving? Mm -hmm. Zippo, other than that, I had been receiving shipments when I was working in the fast food, right? I would receive the inventory, make sure we were, I knew that much, but this was a union shop. That wasn't going to be my job. My job was going to be more on the, did we get what we said? Are the truckers coming in on time? Am I working with dispatch, right? None of this I knew. It was all a new language. Oh, and by the way, sometimes you might have to interact with all of the folks going in and out of the coolers. And by the way, they're union and you are not. And so you're almost like invisible. So I learned all of this stuff. And, um, but my boss told me straight out, he said, I know I had to hire you in at this level, but you are, I'm moving you right now. We're moving you up. And corporate does not have a name for where I'm moving you, but we're gonna create it. And I thought he was joking. You know, I was supposed to be his assistant. He says, it does me no good if you're my assistant. I can't leave here and leave it to an assistant. I need to leave it to someone who knows how to run it. And I'm thinking, okay. I figured it would never happen, but it did within a year. He said, I'm taking off and you. And then the night manager flipping roles. He's, a, he's really in charge, but you're in charge of the night crew. And the night crew is where all the work happened. I was just a bit terrified because I'm 25 years old. And everybody is there at least 10 to 15 years older than I am. And I'm like the new kid. So yeah, he pushed me quite a bit, but boy, did I learn a lot and, and really worked with a ton of great people. It sounds like, you know, you were in this track. I mean, I'm surprised you're not the CEO of a food corporation right now at this point, but so where, how does this all figure into nonprofits and so where you're when, at today? That's interesting. When I was teaching the self-defense and empowerment, 
someone had asked me that, you know, I was in my local area, which at that time was the Monterey Bay area. And I was traveling to New York. I was teaching some in New York city. Um, another story, but a great time. And this gal called and she said, could you teach up here? Well, teaching, it wasn't that simple. You know, it was like, you had to bring a team. We had to come in for a fair amount of time. And so I had to subcontract to other instructors because it was a full contact um, training. We had to get a space, the space wanted insurance. I mean, it's just all of these hoops you have to drop, you know, jump through, but it was super successful. And um, so I ended up moving and doing more of the work there. And then she was on the board of directors for an organization. And she said, our, our executive director is going. And I think you should apply for this job. My only connection to nonprofits up to that point was I'd been a volunteer. So I'd volunteered for a number of years on a suicide prevention crisis line and a rape crisis center. And for the suicide prevention line, I'd also um, been a volunteer trainer as well as going into the high school. So I knew the volunteer side and the advocacy side, way different than being an executive director and the dollar side. So. I said, well, I don't have the experience. She goes, no, but I think you have what it takes. I'm okay. You've heard that before. <laughs> I have, but the but she, you know, if I think I'm good at convincing something of someone, I have never met a woman who was more like, she would just look at you and all of a sudden you're doing it. I'm going, I don't know how I did it. But, you know, she said she, she you know, she was going to be there to back me up. And to her credit, she was, and she knew what she was talking about. She knew the people that I, she was introducing me to and, um, and she knew the connection because the mission of the nonprofit was not, it was in alignment with the work I'd been doing. So it, it was really learning a different industry versus a different um, purpose, right? It was still about empowerment. It was focused on young kids and their safety and um, abuse and, you know, child protection kinds of things, but it totally fit with what I was doing. So I'm, I will be forever grateful for that push because had that push not happened, I would never be married today. I never would have met my husband. And I don't think she knows that, but I mean, there, you know, this, you can say yes and it turns one way or the other and life, life happens, turns on a dime. It does. It, well, it does. It has certainly for you as well. I mean, look at that. Um, so, you know, working in the nonprofit world, you know, this tends to be a little bit more heart centered, right? I mean, you're doing it for a cause and a reason. And, and you, as you said, you're working with uh, families that may be in need or, or have gone through traumatic events. So that certainly takes a psychological hit on you um, with that. So having gone through the, the world of all the food and, and warehousing and running that then to a nonprofit angle with hearts and, and minds, where does that leave you? What, what has been some of the repercussions on you then and where you're at now? How has that kind of come into your psyche? Interesting question. You know what? They aren't so different as you would imagine because, okay, think about who do you work with anywhere you are, right? You're working with other people. Who are those people? They're often parents. They're often siblings. They're always children, right? They're somebody's kid, whether they're parents in the picture or not, right? So everybody can relate at some level to kids. So for me, and when you, you know, like I did not do, well, I did it the first nonprofit I worked at. I did do some of the frontline services, 
But as the executive director, the weight fell on me of making sure that the board had what they needed and the dollars were coming in the door so we could do our mission. And so I was able to step back, except for some of the teaching piece, um, and really focus on creating the network and the supports that we needed, and then making sure the board had what it needed um, so that we would be sustainable as an organization. And the first nonprofit was much smaller. And then one of my board members on that actually asked me to apply to be an executive director on a different nonprofit, which was at least 10 times bigger. Cause I remember telling her, I says, you know, the, but I want, I saw the budget. I knew what it was. I knew what they were looking for. I says, okay, everything's 10 times bigger there. I've only been at this job like two years. I do not think I've got what it, what you need right now. And she goes, this was also brilliant advice. She goes, I just want you to know one thing. It's only numbers. It's just zeros. And I said, what? And she goes, you do a budget for a hundred thousand dollars. You do a budget for a million dollars. The only difference is a couple of zeros. It's the same principle. People are people. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, I'll apply. So I did, I got it. Um, so, but the people part for me, I've always been really empathetic. I think that's the piece, Ken. So I've always connected with people in a certain way. I'm not sure I would have had the words to say that. Um, so the work of the nonprofit for me is less, it's not like painful heart-wise knowing what's out in the world. It's painful knowing when people don't bother trying to work to solve it. That part's harder to me. It's really hard to see um, people who get their egos in the way and they say, well, I don't like that organization, so we're not going to partner with them. Or I don't like their executive director or um, one of their board members. And I'm thinking, but because you can't get past that, this amazing thing isn't going to happen. And if the amazing thing isn't going to happen, resources are going to be wasted. And worse off, kids and families aren't going to get a chance to have their lives improved or impacted or give them a chance to step up and, and turn something that with just a little help would be a huge blossom and a, you know, something magical for them. It sounds like, yeah, there's, there's so many parts and pieces to this, right? I mean, I mean, it's a stage. It's, it's a huge amount of parts and pieces and players. Well, with all that though, what, what would you say would be the two or three things to this point in your career that you're really taking forward with you? You know, I, you know, we heard about your parents, that's powerful stuff and, and never giving up, but you know, what are those two or three things that you would say to someone out there who's trying to break that barrier, who's trying not to be labeled, right? Who's trying to break through. What have you learned that you would share? Always test your assumptions. So sometimes you think you're being labeled and it's just somebody's personality. It, maybe they're just really rough around the edges. And in fact, you may be being pigeonholed right? But you want to test it because you can go off down a whole rabbit trail where you, all you're looking for is evidence that you've been wronged. And it's easy to find when that's what you're looking for. So test your assumptions. Also to think about, instead of saying, what is the problem here? I really, things have shifted the minute I've worked with people or in my own life when I say, hey, what does this make possible, right? Like what could because of this, what's now possible? So Ken, and a great example is because I met you, what's possible? I think I told you shortly after we met, I said, I think I've got some ideas cooking. I'm not gonna talk to you about them yet because they might not, I might not wanna share them, right? That might not happen. But to think about what's possible, 
you know, what might I be able to do to help this person? Or even if it's not our organization, or I'm not the person ultimately going to be connected. So test your assumptions, think about what's possible. And then for me in my own life, I will say that where I have gotten the biggest changes, the fastest is when I've asked for help and or feedback or both. Um, and it's not easy. You know, folks who know me, that's not the first thing I say is, okay, make, what would you do to improve this? I've learned to say that over the years and I actually mean it. But when I first started saying that years ago, it's like, okay, what could I do to improve this? Say nothing, say nothing. Don't tell me anything's wrong because I'm going to really be shattered, right? So, but honestly, it's, it's great to get a mentor or someone who will just stand back. And, you know, I meet weekly with my online business manager and we meet via Zoom so I can watch her face and I'll say, okay, I'm thinking about this. And all of a sudden I'll go, and I'm guessing you have a different thought, right? Just, and she doesn't react, but she comes at things very differently than I do. And I, ha I so appreciate that because she'll just say, well, what if, okay, I see that, but I'm unclear about this. So I just think those, you know, like test your assumptions, get feedback. I always think you should push yourself a little further than you think you can also. So those are kind of the things I take going forward, Ken. Are you done? Because I'm going to take back control yeah. for just a minute. Yep. Okay. Yes. So everybody listening, Ken, first, let me just say you're a natural at this. So how fun to be interviewed by you and to get to hang out with you. Um, but to everybody listening, I'm, I really have two favors to ask. One is, if you would, if you like this episode, if you would go out and rate and review it wherever you listen to it, that's really helpful because it helps us get noticed by more people who need the information, need the inspiration and the connection so that they can kind of bust free from limiting labels and beliefs. So give us a rating and review. Better yet, click the share button on wherever you're listening and share it with others. That would be super great. And then um, give Ken a thumbs up, you know, type in the comments, email us, let us know what you think about this. Um, all right. With that, that is it for this episode of No Labels, No Limits. And we'll talk to you in the next episode. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.